Freddie is going to bring our reading to us. We're going to swap it around and have our reading and preach now. It's like story time with Freddie, who's the producer of a play here on the 13th of December. So, It's very good. Um, do come. Uh, this is the Daniel and the, uh, in the lion's den uh, from the Children's Illustrated Bible. <clears throat> King Darius was so impressed by the wisdom of Daniel that he appointed him the most powerful man in the kingdom after himself. This made the other officials jealous, and they plotted to bring about Daniel's downfall. But try as they might, they could not find no fault in him. The only way we can harm him, they said to each other, is to try and make him do something against the laws of his God. At their request, Darius issued a ruling that for the next 30 days, no one should pray to any god, but only to the king himself. Any man who disobeyed, uh, disobeying the new law would be thrown to the lions. Daniel heard of this, but continued to pray to God three times a day before his open window, which looked towards Jerusalem and was in full view of the street. His enemies gathered outside to watch, then went off to triumphantly report to him to the king. Darius was dismayed that his favorite, Daniel, should have, been so, uh, should have been made a victim of his law. But there was nothing he could do to save him. With a heavy heart, he gave the order for Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den. Your God will save you, he said to Daniel, and turned away to hide his sorrow. The entrance was sealed with a heavy stone. That evening, Darius refused Darius refused both food and drink and lay all night unable to sleep. Early the next morning, the king hurried to where the lions were penned. Daniel, Daniel, he called. Has your God protected you? The Lord sent his angel to stand beside me and the lions have left me untouched. Well, Darius was overjoyed and at once gave the order for the Daniel's release. Daniel was lifted out of the lion's den, unharmed and unafraid, for he knew that God was with him. Then Darius had all the conspirators arrested with their wives and commanded them to be thrown to the lions. At once the beasts fell on them, tearing them savagely apart until there was nothing left of them but bones. <laughs> and there is a rather lovely photo here as well. So come and have a look. Thank you. Thanks, Freddie. It is indeed a photo, and that is Freddie's favourite Bible. I, I, I said to him, bring a Bible, Freddie, your, your normal everyday Bible, do a reading, and that's, that's the one he reads from every day. He likes the pictures, that's what he said. <laughs> so we are today carrying on in our Bible Stories Revisited series. So we've kind of, we've done a few, and then we had a break for various reasons. We, we did a few more, then we had another break, and now we're back. We're doing it again. Um, so, but the good thing about a series with this title is anything in the Bible could be part of it, isn't it? So it's clever, really. You will see this all the time. We're just permanently doing this series now. Um, but yeah, today we are looking at Daniel and the lion's den, a very bleak end at that story. Um, didn't enjoy that bit much. But I have a confession that I'd like to make to start with, to be honest. Um, it's embarrassing. And this is on, on about Tuesday of this week. I, I was like, right, Daniel and the lion's den. I need to prepare for this. Google. Get on Google. That's where I start. <laughs> after, after I've prayed, obviously. Um, and I, went, <laughs> I typed in, where in the Bible is Daniel and the lions then? It's in the book of Daniel, everyone. So, um, 
I, I knew that, really. I did know that. But I was like, oh, yeah, good. So that's where I started. So don't feel embarrassed if you do the same thing. <laughs> um, but actually, the book of Daniel is so interesting. And I have read it before, I promise. Um, it's got so much in there. There's so much that we can talk about in the book of Daniel. Um, and I think I've, I've been part of churches for kind of 34 years of my life, which is most of it. And I think I've only ever heard about two or three talks on Daniel, which is really interesting. because It's a great book, honestly. Um, but this is like the story of a man who's kind of living in exile. So it's, it's written um, based in this kind of sixth century when the Jewish people have been taken away from their own country and they're living in Babylon and he is living in exile. And it's the story of how he faces many, many trials, but repeatedly he is faithful to God and God is faithful to him and God is with him throughout all of these things. And as children, we read this story and we hear that it's about trusting God when everything seems terrible. And that's pretty good. That seems like a good lesson, you know? If you feel like you're in that pit with the lions, trust God because God can find a way. And that is a very good lesson. We like that one. We're okay with that. But this book was actually written, I think, to encourage faithful Jewish practice because the time when it was written, if you like a little bit of history, I believe it was um, probably written around 165 BC. So that's during the Maccabean Revolt. You're all thinking it. I know you are. Um, But if you like that sort of fact, there you go. Um, So it was a time when actually there was persecution of the Jewish people happening and they'd had their religious practices banned. So this story is written to encourage them, to encourage them that if they can be faithful to God, God will be faithful to them. And actually, you know, that's, that's a kind of good message. But at the same time, as Christians, we go, well, hang on, I'm saved because of God's faithfulness. Thankfully, I'm not saved because of my own faithfulness, but I am saved because God is faithful. And so we have to be really careful when we read Daniel that we don't read in that we're saved by our own faithfulness, actually, but we're saved because of God's faithfulness and everything that God has already done for us. But I wonder what we've missed when we look at this story. I wonder what else we could get from this story. And I think there's lots and lots of different things. And I'm going to focus on lions, of course. Lions and tigers and bears are mine. Um, (laughs) That's a reference to the Wizard of Oz in case you're wondering. Um, So, lions. Now, I was at the British Museum the other week. Uh, I was in London. It was half-term. That was a mistake in itself. Um, (laughs) I don't go to London often. It shows, doesn't it? And it was a Saturday, another mistake. And I went to the British Museum, not realising that you can actually book online with a time, and the queue actually went all around the block. Of course it did. It took me ages to get in. When I got to security, they confiscated half a bottle of wine from me. It's (laughs) outrageous. Which is good, because it means I had half a bottle of wine left from the night before, so it's good. It's a good thing. Um, But they confiscated that. Of course they did. And then I finally got into the museum, and it was packed. Obviously it was. It was so busy. It was horrendous. I couldn't wait to get out. I think I was only in there for an hour because I just it was so overwhelming. But the one part that I did see, and this was before I looked at the rotor and realised I was preaching on Daniel, um, was the Assyrian section. And actually I found myself in this room surrounded by like stone carvings of uh, Assyrian lion hunts. Did you know that was a thing? There you go. There's a little snippet. Um, I didn't know that this was a thing. (laughs) 
but I do now. And so I will tell you what I learned that day. So I learned that they actually used to hunt lions, like, regularly. These scenes literally were on a room all the way around me, on every single wall, and I was like, wow, they really had a thing about hunting lions, didn't they? But, like, hunting lions was seen as a sport of the king's. So this was like to display dominance, like a king was displaying dominance by hunting these lions. And it was like the duty of the king to protect and fight for his people. And he could do that by fighting these lions. And Assyrian texts at the time record these plagues of lions obstructing roads, harassing shepherds and attacking livestock. Um, So we can see that they're kind of a problem. We're thinking they're not really a problem because we're in cold England, but they're a problem there. Um, think, think of how annoying sheep are when they're blocking the road, but like that, but much, much worse. Um, so they are a real issue there. And actually, the lions have become, like in this culture, they're like a symbol of chaos. They represent chaos and this untamable, wild ground. That's what they represent. They're like the enemy of civilization. And it's the job of the king to maintain order and to maintain peace. And so they saw themselves, the Assyrians, as sort of living in this civilized heartland, but surrounded by hostile, untamed lands, as shown in the lions, the lions that live in those lands. And for the king to defeat the lion is to show his power, is to show his dominance, is to show that he can overcome that chaos and wilderness. And so, also, it shows divinity because a king is shown to have divine favour if he can kill a lion. So it shows that God is with him in killing a lion. So it's really, really interesting. And I think the lions were also captured regularly. They were kept in cages so that they could make a spectacle of this event, you know, releasing a lion out into an arena where a king and the armies would then kill the lions. This was like a public thing that people go and watch. You can go and watch your king and how powerful he is lovely. So there's this real significance in lions. They're the creatures representing the chaos of the world outside of the king's rule. And so what we actually have is civilization versus chaos. What we have is us versus them. That's what it's clearly representing. And Daniel being thrown to the lions is throwing him into chaos. It's throwing him out of civilization and into that untamable land, if you like. And the expectation is really clearly that he's not going to survive. Like, how is he going to survive that with no weapons, just going in by himself? How could he possibly survive? The only person that has divine blessing, that has that divine favor, is the king. So how could he possibly survive this? And if he does survive well then surely the lions are going to be dead. And then surely Daniel is shown to have this incredible divine power. So like, wow, this is quite a situation. But, and of course the story highlights to us that God truly was with Daniel. It's like this dramatic statement of divine blessing that Daniel was able to survive at all. It's incredible. But what really blew me away about this was that In this story, God doesn't assert his dominance in the way that the earthly kings are asserting their dominance. Like these earthly kings, they're asserting their dominance and power by killing lions, but God doesn't kill them. And I thought that was really interesting, actually. I thought, oh, 
I'd never, I'd never seen that before. Like, I know he doesn't kill them, but I'd never really seen anything in that. But he doesn't kill them. Neither of them are harmed. Daniel is fine. The lions are fine. Wow. Like, God introduces into this way a different way of doing things. Like, we look at that situation and we go, okay, well, there only seems to be two outcomes. One is like a 99%. One is a 1%. We think, Daniel's going to die. And the 1% in us goes, maybe the lions will die. Maybe Daniel's a superhero. (laughs) But, like, we don't see that there could possibly be a third way because we have such, like, a human polarized view of things. That's how we think. We think in these polarized terms. And that's how it was then as well. But I think we are so polarised now. And we really are. Like, politically, we are a polarised people, aren't we? We have, like, really two sides. And we all shout at each other or nobody listens. And it's, it's all very bitter and horrible at times. I think economically we are. You know, the gap between rich and poor is vast. It's vast and offensive, to be honest. Like... I think the wars that go on in this world, people pick a side. You know, we think about Israel and we think about Palestine. The conversations I've had with people, largely they pick a side. Like, we can't help but be polarised. We can't help but pick sides. Even when we come to our own social media, you know, we we pick sides and we argue with each other. Even in our families we argue. I have a very small family, so we don't often manage that, but we still do. I mean, even where you're going to spend Christmas, that can be an issue, can't it? Is it with the in-laws or is, or is it with your family? Whew, that can be contentious. But like, we are so polarised. And actually, I think God is often in the third way. The way that we don't think is possible. The way that we haven't even seen as a possibility. God is often in that. And I think this brings like the image to mind of Isaiah. It brings that image of the lion and the lamb sitting with one another in peace. It brings that, that peaceful imagery of God to our minds. And like, oh my goodness, maybe it is possible with God. Wow. And I think to be a people of God, we actually need to be the people who are seeking God's way in situations, who are trying to find that third way who see that God's heart is for peace for all of us. It's for peace between all of us, in our community and in all of creation. And so maybe today, maybe you're in a situation that feels totally helpless and hopeless, like Daniel was. But know that God can make a way, and a peaceful way, a good way, even though it seems so unlikely. Or maybe it's a situation where you feel like it's one way or the other, but actually God's got something else in mind. I think we need to be a people that trust God's way of peace, expecting him to find another way when things are really tough, expecting that God can do that and will do that, and trusting that his way is peaceful and is good. So let's press into that way of peace, bridging that gap between our polarised different views in the world, caring for one another, listening to one another, and allowing God the space to create something new as we embrace one another and all of creation. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you so much that you are a God who finds a way of peace. We thank you that your heart is to bring peace into our situations, into the things that we face today. And Father, for for those times when we can see no other way, we pray that you would be with us, that you would highlight your way, that you would guide us in your wisdom, and that you would give us ears to hear your word to us. Amen.